great way to get the morning started. All right, you can take a seat. If you're watching online and uh, you're standing at home, you can take a seat. But uh, chances are you're probably sitting on a couch or something. But either way, whether you're here with us in person today or online, welcome. We are so thankful that you've decided to be here with us this morning. My name is Scott Lackey. I'm the lead pastor here at New Story Church. And I am, hey, today's going to be a good day. Uh, we are in human part two. If you missed part one, just go to our YouTube channel. You can check out part one. The title of that message was In the Beginning. And the title of today's message is The New Humanity. The New Humanity. That's the title of our message today. And we begin to get that idea in John chapter one. If you've been following along with our Bible reading plan, that is, by the way, for our 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you have not, that's okay. No judgment here. But if you have been, you'll notice that Genesis 1 and John 1 are very similar to one another. Has anybody here ever had that person in their life before who they tell the same story over and over and over and over again? And there's never any acknowledgement that they've told you this story before? Uh, I remember when I was in high school, there was this uh, guy who used to come from Kaplan University, and he came every single year, and he would do career coaching for us. He would teach us how to do job interviews, how to look for a college, how to look for a school. And, it, it, you know, I was down in Northern Virginia. I think Kaplan's a school in Pennsylvania or something like that. And he would come and do this career coaching every single year. And every single year, sometimes I'd have to listen to this guy give a, give a talk twice a day because I would take two business courses or two computer courses. And if you were in a business course or a computer course, you had to go listen to this guy talk. And every single year, this guy would tell this same, I'm not to be rude, dumb story about the Tic Tac incident of 1997. And uh, basically the story of the Tic Tac incident of 1997 was how in 1997 he went to a job interview and he had a Tic Tac in his mouth and the Tic Tac went flying out of his mouth and onto the person who was interviewing him on his shoulder. And you're like, oh, that's a fun and fascinating story. But just like anybody who tells the same story over and over again, every year certain details of the story would change and you'd start to wonder, is this a true story? Did this actually happen? Or are you just trying to make a point? And I couldn't be rude to the guy, so I was, I guess what you would say, passively, aggressively rude to him. So my friends and I would go up to him every year and be like, dude, we love the Tic Tac story, man. Keep telling it. It's so good. He'd be like, thank you. Thank you very much. And, he, and then he told us this one time that he used to do stand-up comedy. I'm like, yeah, I see why you're not doing that anymore. But anyways, you know, we know people like this. We tell the same story over and over and over again. Sometimes my wife, Kim, she says to me, Scott, you tell the same stories from high school over and over again. And if I would have known you when you were in high school, we would not be friends right now. We would not even be married. We would not be near either, each other right now. But, but I know what it's like. I'm, I can sometimes be that person, and many of you know that person. And then some of us, we know a person who's actually really, really good at telling the same story over and over again. You almost look forward to seeing them because you know out of their list of let's say 10 stories, you're going to get to hear at least one of them when you're with them. You're going to hear one of those stories and the way in which they tell the story, even if it's a little bit different each time, the way that they can put the characters together and they use certain expressions, you're like, I look forward to hearing this person tell a story. Because some people are really good at retelling the same story over and over again. And this is in a way what we see John doing in John chapter 1. He's retelling the Genesis story from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, why would John bother retelling this story? It's not like John would have been unfamiliar with Genesis 1 and 2. In fact, he most likely knew Genesis very well. He probably, he probably had a strong familiarity with this story. So why would he bother telling the same story again? 
Well, if you go back to last week and what we talked about in the beginning with God's intention for creation, what happens is in Genesis 1 is a good God creates a good creation. He creates good humans in this good creation, and God lives and dwells amongst his creation. And what God is doing in in this passage is he's creating order out of chaos. There was nothingness. There was chaos. It was dark. And a good God creates a good order in this chaos. And then he looks at these two beings who, who reflect his image, Adam and Eve, and he says, hey, you can do whatever you want. Just don't do this one thing. So, of course, what do they decide to do? They decide to do this one thing that God asked them not to do. He said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they decide one day, hey, you know, the serpent came along. The serpent told us to eat from the tree, so we might as well just eat from the tree, right? Well, they eat from the tree, and as a result of them eating from the tree, a new type of chaos has now entered into the world. It's not the chaos of nothingness, but it's a chaos of evil. It's a chaos of sin. You see, Adam and Eve are given a new level of consciousness, and they become aware of things that they were not previously aware of. Previously, all they knew was, all that they ever knew was that which was good. But now, now they've become familiar with their capacity and their ability to choose outside of good, to do that which is evil, to do something that is not within the good order that was initially created. And in fact, we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, that God comes looking for Adam and Eve, and they're hiding. They're hiding. Why would you hide? And that brings an interesting question. Why hide? As I was doing some research on this message, I got a little piece of commentary from a clinical psychologist in Toronto by the name of Dr. Jordan Peterson. And in looking at this passage in Genesis 3.8, he says, Why hide from God? Because knowledge of vulnerability makes us shrink back from our own potential. To live fully is to risk to risk everything, to risk death. Why hide from God? How under such conditions could we not hide? See, there's a new consciousness, there's a new reality to this vulnerability, to, this, to, the, to, to the sense of who they are in comparison to who God is. So there's this level of shame, there's this level of embarrassment, and so they are hiding from God. But I would take that even a step further than Dr. Peterson. I believe that one of the reasons that they're hiding is because they have now gained this awareness of, oh no, we we can choose evil. And there's some ways in which there's this evil at work in the world, and there are ways in which at times we become submitted to it. In fact, we can't figure out a way to outthink it. We can't figure out a way to get ourselves out of it. And then tragically, years after this event, they become aware not only of the evil that they can choose and the evil that they are capable of doing, they become aware of the evil that can happen to them. Because just years after this event, their son Cain kills their son Abel. So from this decision, they become aware of of their ability to sin, to commit evil, their, their sometimes inability to choose good over evil, and they also become aware of the evil that can happen to them. And we don't have to go any further than the events of this past week to recognize that evil does still exist in the world. Darkness is still present. And there's constant conversations of how to combat the darkness, how to fight the darkness, how to move against 
that which is dark? How, how do we find a light in the darkness? Because God created order out of the chaos of nothingness, but now there's a chaos of evil. There's a chaos of sin that has permeated the creation around us. And every single day, we are at least in a micro sense revealed to us the ability of the evil that we can choose and the capacity of the, of the evil that can happen to us. So what possibly are we to do? And this is why John retells the story of a new beginning, a new humanity. Or for you Star Wars fans, you can call it a new hope. That's the title of today's message, a new humanity. Jesus steps onto the pages of human history to, as John says in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, bring a light to the darkness, to bring an order to the chaos that is evil and sin. And God became a human so that he could show us the way to be truly human. God became a human so that we could see the way to be truly human. Which brings us to our first point, the true human. The true human. See, in Genesis chapter 1, the pinnacle of the story is, is at Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, when, when it says that God created man in his image. God had created this, this garden temple where he dwelled amongst his creation, and he had these image bearers, and this was the climax of the story. But now that's been disrupted. So John is retelling the story, and the climax of John's retelling of the story, of the new beginning, the new creation, the new humanity, comes in John 1, verse 14. When he's referring to Jesus as the word, and he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we could stop here today because this is such good news. Listen to this for just a second. Jesus became flesh. The Lord of lords, the King of kings, the one who was at the beginning, who spoke the creation into existence, he became flesh, which is the creator screaming out to you and me, screaming out to every single one of us, you don't have to hide. I have come for you. You don't have to hide. I have come for you. I am going to show you what it means to be truly human. He took on flesh. He didn't stand back off at a distance and say, oh, I want nothing to do with you. I'm ashamed of you. I'm this, I'm that. He said, no, I'm going to put on skin, and I'm going to show you what it means to be human. Jesus came for us. Jesus is the very existence, the nexus between heaven and earth coming together and says, I'm going to show you how to bring the new creation into the present age. You see, uh, it's, it's interesting that sometimes when we take this, this reading of Jesus and we look at this, we forget that he truly was human. Jesus felt human fatigue. In John 11, everyone's favorite memory verse, Jesus wept. Jesus cried human tears. Jesus had a human vocation. He was a carpenter and a rabbi. Jesus became truly human, and he showed us the way to be human. And this, so, sometimes we look at the way of Jesus and we say, man... That's just such an impossible standard. And it is in some ways. Not, nobody in here and nobody watching online has the ability to be perfect. It is an impossible standard in that sense. But it's more than just an impossible standard. It's an unbelievable invitation. An unbelievable invitation that the one who spoke creation to existence, 
said, I'm coming for you. I'm putting on flesh, and I'm going to show you how to renew and to restore the created order. I am going to show you how to be a light in the darkness. We don't have to wait for the light at the end of the tunnel. The light is here. His name is Jesus. Yeah, you can clap for that. You can say amen. Come on. Like, the, the light is here. His name is Jesus. He is drawn close. We don't have to wait, twiddling our thumbs, wondering when this is going to happen. And here's how I know this to be true. When you go to John chapter 2, and you read of the first miracle that John records in the biography of the life of Jesus. Jesus is at a wedding. And we all know Jesus, the true party animal Jesus. They run out of wine at this wedding. They run out of wine. And Jesus' mother comes to him and says, Jesus, there's no more wine at this wedding. And Jesus does what any good son would do to his mother and says, hey, woman. He literally says, woman. He looks at his mother and says, woman, what do I have to do with this? That's basically what he says. Could any of you imagine looking at your mother and saying, woman? I don't see that going over well for anybody. But it can go well for Jesus because he's Jesus. But Jesus says, woman. And then he ends up taking care of things. And what Jesus does is he takes water and he turns it into wine. And what do the people say? Man, this is the best wine. Usually, I mean, you guys save the best for last. Usually you serve that stuff first. But man, this is some good wine. Why would Jesus create good wine? Because he is good, and he can only create out of his essence. So he created good wine. And this, this is a perspective that we really have to, I, I really want us to grab onto this. Because so many of us look at John's gospel, for example, and we look at it as an escapist story. Jesus came to show us how to get the heck out of here. That's what we look at it as. Jesus came to show us how we can get out of this world and get to the next one one day. And there is a promise of eternal life. Don't hear me downplaying that. But after this past week and after even just the past year, my social media feed has been filled with people talking about, oh, I, you know, I can't wait to get out of this world. Oh, Jesus must be coming back soon. Guys, we really need to stop it with that. I'm just, I'm just going to shoot straight. I was not alive during this time, but I've done a lot of reading. Somebody had a whole movement in 1988, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. A whole movement of people were following this. And, going, and if you did follow this, I, listen, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad or feel guilty for any of that. But we've gotten that wrong so many times. <laughs> Can we just calm down? And maybe when we see Jesus turning water into wine, what he's trying to communicate to us is this. The greatest hope is not for you to just sit around waiting to get to the good place one day. But the great hope is that you would bring the good to the place that you're at right now. This is the hope that we have, that we get to bring the good. When we know the one who is good, we get to bring new creation. We get to bring new possibilities. We get to bring new life. We get to bring new hope because new creation has started. If any wasn't in Christ, they are a new creation. When? Now. Not when everyone is in Christ, just sit around, tell people that the end of the world is coming, and then in 70 years from now when you die, then you'll be a new creation. That's not what it says. We are a new creation now. The good has invaded this present age. Heaven has invaded earth. And the spirit of the risen Jesus is within us as those who follow Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus, his spirit lives within you, and we get to bring heaven to earth. His kingdom come, as will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Instead of, at, I'm getting a little worked out. I'll calm down for just a second. Instead of, abdicating our responsibility to do good, we need to embrace our responsibility to do good. Too far often I've seen the church or Christians in general 
are okay to sit at a keyboard or to sit in front of a bunch of people and tell a bunch of people about how, oh, something good is coming one day. And, and we're just letting all these people know about that. But we aren't doing anything in our everyday lives to, know, to let anybody know about the one who is good. That has got to stop. We cannot continue to abdicate our responsibility to bring the good life, to bring the new creation, to bring the new hope wherever God has placed you. The light is here. His name is Jesus, and he has empowered us to be light. He has empowered us to be hope. He has empowered us to bring possibilities, new possibilities, and new creation on earth as it is in heaven. We can't abdicate our responsibility and, our, and, and the invitation to do that. Which brings us to our second point, empowered to be human. Uh, have any of you ever worked for a micromanager before? You can raise your hand if you're online or if you're here in person. Micromanagers, come on. Are any of you willing to admit that at times you can be a bit of a micromanager? Anybody? All right, I saw a few hands here, a few honest people here this morning. Nobody likes working for a micromanager. If you are one, try working on that. It's not the, fun, you know, the most fun thing in the world to be working for a micromanager. We have to learn to raise up leaders and delegate leadership. Uh, I, when I, I used to work at a work food store called Red Wing Shoes. And when I was working there, my boss, Dave, and Dave, if you by chance watch this, I don't think Dave's going to watch this, but if you do watch this, Dave, I've talked to you about this. You're good. I love you, but you're a bit of a micromanager. Uh, this was years ago, and whenever I was at the computer at the point of sales system, he would come and hover over my shoulder, making sure that I was doing everything right while I was checking people out. And I think it was one of those situations where he didn't really know how to use a computer very well. Once again, I'm sorry, Dave. He didn't know how to use a computer very well, and so he was nervous that if I broke something, then we would have a huge problem because he wouldn't know how to fix it. And so he would like hover over me, and he would get that look on his face that people get who don't know how to use a computer. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you might be one of those people, I'm sorry to tell you. But that he would get that look on his face. There's this look that people get on their face who don't know what to do when they see a computer monitor or, or a laptop screen in front of them. It's this, it's this gazed overlook where, they, where the thing that they need to click on is right in front of them and they go like this. And like squinting their eyes, as if they squint their eyes, something's going to magically appear on the screen. And it's just this very lost look, and you think, I just want to steal this thing out of your hand, and let me just take over it right now, but that would just make things worse. But he would do that to me all the time, and it was so frustrating. It was just, it was just like, would you please stop micromanaging? Would you please stop breathing over my shoulder? Or then there are some people, they're, they're a little bit more manipulative micromanagers. They'll give you a task or a responsibility because they really just want you out of their hair. And they'll say, go do this, and you think, oh my goodness, this is great the first time I really get to own a project. I really get to do something. And you start dreaming and you start executing and then you execute and you, and you bring this thing to life. You bring this thing to fruition and you go find your boss or you find the person who told you to do that project and they come back around and they just change literally everything that you did. Those are like the secret micromanagers. Those are the ones who after two or three times you realize, oh, this person's a micromanager. They give me very vague instructions so that they can just get me out of their hair, and then they come along and they fix and do whatever they want to do. And like those, those are the sneaky micromanagers. Don't be one of those either. Sometimes you think you're delegating, but you're really not. You're a sneaky micromanager. Don't do that. Don't do that. Jesus is an incredible leader. Jesus is a fantastic leader because Jesus sets up for us the standard of what it means to be truly human, and then he doesn't micromanage. Jesus sets a clear, concise standard and then he gives us the tool possible, that he gives us the tool to make that standard possible. He gives us a clear standard and then the tool to make that standard possible. Later on in John's gospel, 
Jesus lays out his standard of this is what it means to follow me. This is my commandment that I give you to be truly human. Jesus says this in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. This is not my commandments and then a whole list of things. This is not, you know, the million things you have to do to follow me. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And I would confidently argue this. I believe that when you look at the other teachings of Jesus, for example, the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that all of the instructions that you find in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 fall under this one ethic. That if you begin to do this one thing, those things will start to fall into place. I'm not saying that you don't look at them and focus on them, but I do believe that if you do this above all else, those things will begin to start to fall into place. Because the ethic and the standard of Jesus, he also makes it very clear in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The standard of Jesus is this, to be truly human, is to love others as he loved us. Well, how did he love us? He went out of his way to love us. He, he, he came to this earth. He then showed us the way to be truly human. Just read the biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then he gave his life for us to pay the penalty of our sin. Then he came back from the grave demonstrating the victory of God. The love of Jesus is a sacrificial love. To say, I'm not concerned about my preference, but I'm concerned about these beings that I've created called humans finding life. It's stepping out of a perspective of self-concern and embracing a greater concern for the world. It's saying, I'm not as concerned with my own agenda, but I'm more concerned with God's agenda. This is the kind of love that Jesus had, to lay down his preference for the sake of others. But if we were to all really shoot straight with one another, we have a difficult time doing this at times. This is not always easy. We even enter conversations with our own agenda in mind. Maybe, maybe you don't do this, but I imagine you probably do. Because a lot of us are really bad listeners, really bad at truly listening to other people. What we oftentimes do is we listen to respond. We, we're, we're waiting for somebody to say something. We're waiting to get that edge in. We're waiting for them to make a mistake. We, we, we aren't really just trying to objectively listen to what other people have to say. We're more concerned about our preference in the context of the conversation. We're more concerned with our own personal agenda. And the, oh, when they say this, I know I'm going to get the edge on them because I know that they're about to say that. We don't really give preference to others and lay down our preference for the sake of others. We have a really difficult time with this. At least I'll admit that I do. I have a difficult time with this. What does it mean to truly listen, to lay down our own agendas and hear what other people are going through and hear what other, where other people are coming from? This is what it looks to love people, to, to, to begin. This is the beginning state. To begin to love people the way Jesus did. To say, I'm going I'm to not always have an agenda. I'm not going to always try to get my preference across. I'm going to truly care about others and listen to others and see what they have to say and see where they're coming from and see what they feel so that we can work for the good of all of humanity together and not just be focused on self. But that's incredibly difficult. That's incredibly difficult. So, how is that possible? How is that possible to love others the way that Jesus has loved us? Well, thankfully, as I said, Jesus gave us a tool to make that possible. He has sent his very presence to live within us. Jesus says this in John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Jesus lays out the role of the Holy Spirit in John 14 and John 16, but I just wanted to look at this one verse, that the Holy Spirit, as soon as we give our lives to Christ, we are sealed with his Spirit, and the Spirit of God will remind us of the words and actions of Jesus. So if we want to go after the goal that Jesus gives us, to love others, the commandment that he's given us, to love others as he has loved us, all we have to do, I make that sound easy, but what we have to do is listen closely to the voice of the Holy Spirit within us. To listen closely to his spirit, to pay attention to his voice. And his spirit will lead us into the way of being truly human, into the new creation, the new beginning, the new humanity. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here with us in person. Maybe you're watching online. And you're someone who lately you've felt lonely, you've felt isolated. You've been in a spot where you've wondered, does anybody even care about me right now? And, and, and you've had some of these internal struggles within your heart. I have incredible news for you today. Not only did Jesus come for you to show you how to be truly human, not only did he die for you and then come back from the grave so that you could have peace with God and bring peace to humanity, once you place your faith in him, he sends his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of you to bring you comfort, to bring you peace, to bring you hope, to bring you life, and then the power of his spirit equips you to be hope, to bring peace, to bring life, to bring light. You don't have to be alone. You are not alone. The Spirit of God is calling to you and drawing close to you. God has went so far to let you know that he has empowered you to be the human that he created you and designed you to be. This is good news for all of us. Which brings us to our next point, the benefit of being human. The true human is Jesus. He's empowered us to be human by giving us a clear standard and by giving us his Holy Spirit. But then what is the benefit of this life? If I, if I was to just be transparent with you, and I don't do this a lot, but if I was just to be transparent with you, one of my greatest fears is that I would live a life without meaning. That I would live a life that doesn't make a difference. That I would live a life that at some point in time I would just get comfortable and give in to the conformity and expectations of everyone around me. That I would settle for mediocrity. I'm gonna just shoot straight with you. That's, that's, an, and that's an internal struggle I have at times. I imagine some of you have probably had that struggle as well. That you've wondered before, man, is, is, you know, am I just gonna give in to, to what everyone else is doing? Is this all that there is to life? No matter where you are in life, it's never too late to say yes to Jesus. It's never too late to say yes to Jesus. He is waiting for you to say yes to him. He is waiting for you to give your life to him. But I get it. It can be intimidating. Because when you give your life to Jesus, it's saying, I'm not going to author my life anymore. I'm going to allow him to be the author of my life. It's that surrender of control. I'm going to allow him to write the story of my life. And that's intimidating, because when we do look closely at some of the people who have given their lives to Jesus, a lot of times in this way of being human, in the way that Jesus has called us to, it, it can be intimidating, because we see people who are misunderstood, we see people who, who sometimes are kind of outcast and outskirt kind of people in the way of following Jesus, 
We see people following the call of God on their lives and not always experiencing full acceptance, but being rejected sometimes by larger groups. And you think, man, is that, I don't really know if I can sign up for something like that. And let me pause here for just a second as well. Just, just one last little thing that I need to address. We do need to stop playing the martyr card here in the United States of America. That needs to end immediately, um, you know, unless things really change. But I've, once again, I've seen way too much on social media about Christians being martyred and all that stuff in this country. Th that needs to stop. Go to another country where that's actually happening and see it firsthand before you say that we as the United States of America, because somebody in power disagrees with our perspective, that we're being martyred for it. All right? That just, that just needs to stop, okay? But that doesn't mean that at times, yes, people who follow Jesus were misunderstood. The path is narrow. It's different. It's a little bit unique. And so sometimes to see somebody following that line of life, you think, is that really what I want? Can I really go through that? Because to follow that path, you do pick up some scars along the way. You pick up some hurt. You do at times pick up some rejection. It even happened with Jesus. But here's what I do know is that those scars are for a greater good. When you are following the way that Jesus has to be human, those scars are working for something beyond you. We, we actually see this in Jesus as well. Because in the resurrected Jesus, he has this new body, and it's doing these cool things, man. It can cross through dimensions, it can go through walls, he, goes, he raises up into heaven. It's, it's a pretty dope thing, man. His body is sweet. He has this brand new resurrected body. But in this resurrected body, he still has the scars from the crucifixion. And we see this because his, his, one of his followers, Thomas, is like, I'm not going to believe it till I see it, which makes sense. People are claiming that a man came back from the dead. Some people are really hard on Thomas sometimes, but just remember, the person who wrote the story about Thomas, John, referred to himself as the one who Jesus loved. The person who wrote the story about Thomas also felt the need to write Oh yeah, when I was running to the tomb after the resurrection, I got there before Peter. So the person who wrote this about Thomas and made him into this doubting character didn't seem to ver think very highly of his peers and seemed to think a lot of himself. So let's keep that in mind, folks, before we're too hard on Thomas. Everyone's like, you don't want to be a doubting Thomas, do you? You don't want to be doubting Thomas. Okay, let, just, just calm down, because we've all been doubters before. Let's lay low on Thomas for right now. But in John 20, verse 27, Thomas sees the resurrected Jesus, and the scripture says this. Then he said to Thomas, Jesus said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here in your hand and put it in my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. This is, this is so critical. This is so critical. Because the scars that were in the, the human form of Jesus exists on his new resurrected body. This is an indication to me that the scars that you get in this life in the way of following Jesus, they are doing an eternal work that is for the kingdom to come. That when we're doing kingdom work, that when we're bringing about God's kingdom will on earth as it is in heaven, that we are participating in the future of eternity. That, that the scars that you get, they aren't just for the sake of you, but they're for the sake of others. The scars of Jesus set humanity free. And the scars that you get in this life, 
when you're pursuing Christ, when you've embraced the way of Jesus. It's not just for you. You never know when you pick up these scars who else you could be setting free, who you could be giving hope to, who you could be giving life to, who you could be helping find a new story that only Jesus has for them. The scars just aren't for you. They're for someone else. This is the hope that we have. And, and, and as we work in the kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not just about let's get to heaven, let's bring God's will, let's bring heaven to earth. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we do by the power of his spirit. We participate in bringing the act of new creation to work for that which is eternal, to work for the eternal good. That's why Paul writes about the, the, the resurrected life in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Nothing that you do is ever in vain. It's not useless. It's not meaningless. We are working for eternity when we embrace the vision for humanity that Christ has for us. And John, I know I was just making fun of John a second ago, but I do like John. Years and years later, John wrote a few little letters. We call them epistles. People are like, what does that even mean? We talk about that in pastoral world. But anyways, he wrote these letters. 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. 1 John, some people believe, was to a group of churches. Some people believe it was to the church of Ephesus. For our purposes now, we don't need to get into that. But John's getting close to the end of his life. And John definitely picked up some scars along the way through his life. But as he opens his letter in 1 John, he's very clear about something. That this way of following Jesus, the way of being human that Jesus has laid out for us, it brings life and light and hope and joy. Let me read to you what, what John writes in 1 John. 1 John, let me get there. One of my tassels. There we go. 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. What was from the beginning. Yeah, John likes starting out letters in a very similar way. What was from the beginning. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. John is saying, it was man Jesus was manifested to us. We saw eternal life face to face. We touched and heard and saw, we saw Jesus. We saw eternal life. I can only just imagine the excitement he has, even more excitement than we all had yesterday when the Bills won their first playoff game since 1995. Even more excitement than that. It was made manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us. There's a community, a fellowship that comes with this. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write, so what? So that our joy may be made complete. You see, when we discover the way of Jesus, when we begin to follow Jesus, when we live in the new story and the new life and the new humanity that only Christ has for us, there's a joy that is discovered. There's a joy that is found. There's a joy that is made complete. And it's not circumstantial. It's not based off of, oh, this is going good in my life. Oh, this is going bad in the things around me. There's a joy that we have that cannot be taken away from us because the one who gave it to us, nobody can take anything from him because he's the creator of all things. We have a joy that can be made complete. 
So you might pick up some scars along the way. You might be wondering, how did this happen? Why did that happen? You can know that there's a complete joy that is found in Christ and Christ alone. And he has given us the way to be truly human. And the scars that you have are not just for you, but they're for someone else. This is why John tells the story of a new beginning. Because a new beginning opens up the door for a new humanity. And as we become the new humans that only Christ can shape us into, he said, I've come to show you the way, the truth, and the life. When we become that, we then begin to become those who usher in and bring in the new creation on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, we have an eternal hope, but we have an eternal work that begins now. New beginnings, new humanity, new creation. If you want to be truly you, if you want to be truly you, follow the one who came for you. If you want to be truly you, follow the one who came for you. Follow the one who created you. Follow the one who designed you. And let him restore within you the true image of God on your life. New beginning, new humanity, new creation. So I normally end with, I try, to, I try to make it a catchy statement. It's not always a catchy statement. I normally end with a catchy statement or a tagline at the end or something like that. In the preacher world, we call that a big idea. We talk to other pastors, what's your big idea for your message this week? What's your main point? What's your sticky statement? That's, that's pastor talk. You guys are all on the insider language now. But anyways, normally end with something like that. I don't have it this week. I have, I have the arrows for you. But outside of that, I actually have a prayer that I want you to leave here with today. Just a two-sentence prayer. And I want you to write this down if, if, you're, if you're using a journal. Or if you're, you have your phone, you can use your phone. I just want you to pray this prayer. If you're participating with us in our 21 days of prayer and fasting here at the beginning of the year, make this your prayer. If you're not participating, still make this your prayer. If you're not participating and you want to join us, it's never too late to join. Start today. Start fasting from something. Start fasting from Netflix if you need to. I don't know what it is. I wouldn't suggest fasting from the NFL playoffs right now just because of the bills. But anyways, we're witnessing history. But anyways, fast from something or if you, have, if you want to. But in, make this your prayer. Make this your prayer. Write this down. Holy Spirit, what new work are you doing in me and around me? Holy Spirit, give me the courage to respond with a yes to the new work that you are doing. Holy Spirit, what new work are you doing in me and around me? Holy Spirit, give me the courage to respond with a yes to the new work that you are doing. Ask God to give you eyes to see, ears to hear, the light and life and the movement that he has going on around you. And then ask for the courage to embrace that. Ask for the courage to be a part of the new kingdom that God is initiating, the new humanity that he has for each and every one of us. Make that your prayer. If you would, please bow your heads and join me in prayer right now. Jesus, we thank you that it is in you that we have life and life to the full. And I pray that we would follow after you, that we would learn what it means to listen closely to your voice, Holy Spirit, that we would see the new work that you're doing in us and around us, and we would have the courage to say yes to you. May we be the church, may we be the people who you've called us and created us to be. Thank you, God, for all that we have with you. 
Everybody in here, heads down and eyes closed. If you're watching, heads down, eyes closed. If you're watching online today, or if you're in here today with us and you've never made a decision to give your life to Jesus, it's the most critical, important decision you'll ever make. I'm going to have to pray this out loud. You can pray it in your heart. I just want you to say this with me. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. If you prayed that, Jesus, I surrender my life. If you're online, go to newstorybuffalo.com. Fill out, get connected. Or go to our Instagram, at newstorybuffalo. Send us a direct message. We want to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. And you're a part of our family, so we want to walk through that with you. If you're here today and you prayed, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Everyone heads down and eyes closed. Would you be bold enough to just raise your hand? I just want to be able to see you and pray for you for just a minute. Looking around. If you prayed that today, I want to be able to pray for you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus. Jesus, thank you for all that we have in you. Thank you that it is in you that we have new life. And I pray, Jesus, that we would draw close to you, that we would turn from our old life and embrace the new that you have for us, that we would learn what it means to lay down our preference in our life for the sake of others. In your name I pray.